Welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Are Infinitely Loved. Today we are talking about a subject I love to hate and hate to love. Hmm. procrastination yeah (laughs) i suffer from this and i benefit from this and we want to dig in deep to figure out is this a good thing or a bad thing Mm. and i think it's both (laughs) but i am also i think i don't know who what who it was in my family maybe my mom called me the queen of procrastination um, because I've never really done a task until the very, very, very last minute. So I feel like this is something I've struggled with my whole life. And it's something that I wanted to talk about because lately all of my clients have been really struggling with procrastination. And so I think it's clearly not just us, Lindsay. I mean, Thank it can't you. be. Uh, <laughs> no, I think in the past I've had, I've carried tons of shame around being someone who is last minute on all the things. And it's been like a point of like when people say, oh, she's always late, shame. Um, mm-hmm. Pulled an all-nighter instead of a badge of honor, it's like shame, you know? And so it's been this interesting thing where I'm embarrassed to admit that it's been such a big feature in my life. And it hasn't been until lately that I've noticed the positives of being someone who procrastinates. I'm not great with time, but you know what? I'm the most present person you are ever going to meet. When I'm with you, I'm absolutely with you. That is very true. And so I feel like, you know, there's a little bit of trade-off there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Uh, creativity gets going when I'm running late. You know, you got to pull it out when you have waited till the last minute. you got to really get creative. <laughs> That's true. Again, I love I love your positive spin. <laughs> How can I? How can I take a shower, dry my hair, put makeup on, and I have three minutes? Go. Challenge accepted is my favorite phrase. Chris, do you procrastinate, or are you not a procrastinator? Uh, I procrastinate on certain things. Hmm. What type of things? What type of things? Um, taking the recycling bins back into the house. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would say Kusa and I fall on different ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. He is a procrastinator. <laughs> which is a term that we've just learned from Sam recently. Yes. And I'm a procrastinator. Procrastinator. <laughs> no, pro. <laughs> so for anyone listening that's never heard the term procrastinator, which I hadn't, this is a term that I learned about through Adam Grant and his work. And procrastinators are these, you know, I don't want to judge. I was about to call them weirdos, which is incredibly judgmental. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that term off, but. Are these please edit that out, <laughs> Sam? <laughs> People who, as soon as they get a task or a project or something that needs to be done, they get started like straight away. Like they're preparing from the get go. It's almost like a race out of the gates. And I just think, oh my goodness, who are these people? You know how good that feels. <laughs> you know how good that feels. Right now, all the prep that I need to do for dinner tonight is done. <gasps> That is pretty So cool. after recording, you can just we're ready to cook. Okay. The times, though, that it becomes hard to be married to someone who is a procrastinator 
are when you need to make a decision right now yeah. and you're like, I need to brew on this. Give me a second. Mm. Um, or when things get, I can think of a time when you bought a water filter right before you moved and it was, it was on sale. It was a good deal. We needed one. And then it ended up being like this thing that wasn't what we needed or a good deal for us. And if we just waited a minute, paused a moment, mm. it would have not gotten bought and then had to been returned, etc. To be clear, <laughs> this was not how the conversation happened, as far as I can remember. <laughs> I got the green light. But it. oftentimes I do give a green light because it's it's not worth the, the conversation to me. Mm. You know, I'm like, eh, just go for it, whatever. Does anyone know a good marriage therapist? <laughs> we... We have invited Esther Perel to uh, co-host this week. <laughs> oh my goodness. I would love it. We need her on our podcast. But yeah. But I think the article that I read where he was talking about procrastination, you know, as much as that's a great thing to get started on something straight away, he was actually looking at what are the positives of procrastination and what could I get if I didn't rush straight into the task. And he talks about the fact that people do, you know, become creative when they step away from a task and just have some time where they're seemingly doing nothing. And I liked the way he framed that because I thought, yeah, all of this time when I'm putting things off and doing nothing, maybe I'm just thinking creatively. <laughs> well, the numbers he gave though, were you were like 28% more creative yeah. procrastinators in general. Mm -hmm. That's massive. Well, I think it depends on what you're procrastinating on. Absolutely right. agree. Like <laughs> the, the taking the bins out. <laughs> The, doc the doctor calls you back. Hey, we need to decide on something. Hmm, give me a month. No, <laughs> don't procrastinate on that. <laughs> That's true. But this is where living on both ends of the spectrum in our house has been very helpful. We do balance each other out quite a bit. Coos mm. puts a fire under me sometimes and I... Pour some cold water <laughs> on me sometimes. <laughs> and this discussion about procrastination and procrastination actually reminds me of Gretchen Rubin's work on habits where she talks about the difference between a marathoner and a sprinter. And mm -hmm. in her words, it's kind of like a marathoner is someone who from the very beginning starts the task and likes to pace it out over the amount of time that they have and they're very prepared and they get everything done. Um, and a sprinter is someone that, as the name suggests, waits until the last minute and then they sprint to the finish line. And she talks about the fact that they're very motivated by this deadline and that actually if you're a sprinter, you can't, you know, just suddenly become a marathoner as much as you might like to try because it's that deadline that is the only thing that motivates you to act. And that for me was like a massive um, relief when I read that because I was like, oh, now there's a term that sounds positive but isn't procrastinator and i can just say oh i'm a sprinter <laughs> this is really great oh i sprint i get things done at the final hour and that's fine and her work really is all about understanding there are different types of people who do things in different ways and you don't need to change you just need to understand what type you are so that you can do things to you know use this to your advantage so i was like okay i'm just gonna accept that i'm a sprinter <laughs> Sam, that's a really brilliant point to talk on, though, mm. is when we accept who we are and our natural tendencies, yeah. what we do, and it's reframing them from a place of, it's shameful that I'm this way, to this is how I am. How can I 
uh, support this way that I am and maybe make it easier or better, more functioning for me. Yeah. As opposed to, I mean, shame is, oh, I call it cement. You just cement these negative beliefs about yourself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a self-love podcast, I think it's the self-acceptance is huge, right? It's this, this growth potential towards, um, I love who I am yeah, and the unique way that I do things might not be everyone's cup of tea mm-hmm. and I might need to, you know, do some, you know, relationship uh, evaluation and coaching around how do I explain who I am and how I do things mm-hmm. and, you know, collaborate with your partner, for instance, <laughs> <laughs> but to get to a place where this is a, this can be a, a beautiful thing about you yeah, instead of something that's broken and needs to be fixed. Yes. And that is absolutely what I love about her work. And it, it, I feel like it released me from so much judgment and so much shame about various things that I felt like I couldn't do. And I was like, oh, I can. I just have these particular ways of working. And in terms of the sprinting marathon piece, she does talk about the fact that like if your sprinting is becoming detrimental, so if procrastination is really, you know, becoming destructive or you're you you don't manage to get to the finish line and it's just causing you a lot of stress. Even knowing that you're someone that does something at the last minute, she's like, is there a way that you can build in a deadline, whether it's, again, having someone else holding you accountable to getting that task done a week before you have to get it done. So in your mind, there is a deadline. There is an accountability measure. You know, she talks about there's ways of using your sprinting tendency and your need for a deadline, but doing it in a way that you can, yeah, still get what you need to get done. I wish you could see Coos grinning like the Cheshire cat right now. Look at this I smile. Know, I was face. like, what's he smiling no, I, at? I, I was just, no, I was just reminded of a phrase that I read about a while ago called the magical thinking. Mm. Have you, have you heard about it? <laughs> no. What's magical I thinking? I think this apply this applies really well for procrastinators. Mm-hmm. let's say i've got the good example okay go for it i once made it to work in 10 in, minutes usually <laughs> uh, usually it would take about 20, 20 minutes to minutes. Get, get but one time one time she made it in 10 I minutes made it 10 minutes so when you ask me how long does it take to drive to work it's always in my head 10 minutes and that's a one-time thing though but in your head this is it's baked in like oh i made it once in 10 minutes I, yeah. you know, I can yeah. leave before work starts 10 minutes before I need to be there. And so yeah. the absolute stress of <laughs> running yellow lights and, you know, being an obnoxious driver uh, because challenge accepted. <laughs> 10 minutes, got it, done. <laughs> but the, the thoughts well, though, keep going, Coos. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to go back to the part where you were talking about shame. I mm-hmm. feel like that shame feeling goes with the procrastination tendency, but not so much with the procrastination. And that's speaking from my personal experience. And that's because things will get done before it needs to be done. So there's no shame of like, oh, I didn't get it done on time or, oh my gosh, I wait until the last minute. I do see shame creeping in after the fact. If I were to look back and thought, oh, I could have done it differently. Mm. But that's like after, yeah. maybe way after the fact. I love how Sam and I are just staring yeah. blankly. Like I can't relate to this in any way. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> Whatever. Sam gets to the airport three hours early. She knows what it's like to that's be a my pre- one procrastinating moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think 
I think there is so much shame involved with procrastination. And what I think is interesting about that is why do we shame ourselves for procrastinating? Because there is a bizarre value placed on productivity. And I think that's a problem in itself because I think so many of us have some crazy idea that we're somehow more worthy or more lovable or more deserving or a better human being if we're more productive. And I just simply oh, don't that's think not, that's That's true. not the case? No? Oh, Unfortunately, Poosh, that's not the case. <laughs> and, and Sam, we've talked about this. Mm. The past few weeks, hasn't this been the number one issue that your clients have been bringing up with you? A hundred percent. And this is something mm-hmm. that I see in myself too. And I like to think that I that I don't have this piece that I'm I'm pretty open-minded and, and not too harsh on myself when I'm not productive. But actually, in the past month, I have been really, like that's been something that I have been critical of myself for. You know, you haven't got enough done. You haven't, you didn't pack fast enough. You, di- you haven't got your apartment set up quick enough. You haven't done whatever else. You know, there's been so many things and I just keep thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not being productive enough. And then I have to hear mm-hmm. that thought and think, how many times have I told my clients, oh, you know, life isn't about productivity. We're not. And, and I use that with a friend in Phuket who, in my mind, he was obsessed with productivity, but to a point where I felt that it was kind of not destroying, but impacting other areas of his life. Cause I'm not a person that I don't have a problem with people being productive. You know, it's fine. Like if people are hardworking, productive people, cool. But I have a problem when people really focus on that as like, this is the marker as to whether I've had a good day and Mm -hmm. everything else is kind of secondary to that. And this particular person I thought was, you know, not really making time for his friends or relationships or whatever, because he had a big to-do list that he wanted to get done. And, and so I kind of used this provocative question with him, which was, what do you want to be known for at the end of the day? And he kind of looked at me blankly and I was like, So when you're dead and we're at your funeral, do you want me to say, oh, remember him? He was so productive. He really got his to-do list done. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you think that of me. (laughs) And he kind of laughed and, and he could see, I hope, the point I was trying to make, which is I think we put way too much value on being productive and I think it's a product of our society. It's a product of capitalism. It's a product of industrialization. And we don't stop and question it. And I just think life is not about checking off things on a to-do list. That's not why we're here. It's not why I'm here. But unless we remind ourselves of that, I think most of us go through our life with a to-do list, trying to get to the end of the day and having as much of it done as possible. 100% agree. And I'd also go one step further and say, this is about safety. We often mm. produce or overproduce as a way to feel safe. If I make more money, I have a safety net. If I perform more at work, Mm. I'll be um, so valuable they can't get rid of me. If I serve my friends and give and give and give, um, I have proof so they can't leave me or abandon me, right? If I'm mom of the year, my kids will turn out right. If I do everything for them, my kids will be okay. They'll turn out, they'll have enough safety to, to be okay. That's so true. And so I think when you think about you know, that part of our bodies that is telling us, um, get safe, get to the safest place you can be. I will relax once I'm safe. That's so true. That I think reinforces that trap 
of mm-hmm. um, be productive. Yeah. Productive is your safety net. Yeah, because there's this mm-hmm. idea that the, the more productive you are, the more invaluable, irreplaceable. Like people we know need it's not you. True. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And so when you think about that, our society is so based on not how we feel about ourselves necessarily, yeah. but how we perceive others feeling or thinking about us. And so, of course, we're going to double down on being productive if we're not aware mm-hmm. of how we're feeling or if we're feeling. Am I doing this for safety? You know, am I working overtime for extra money because I need it or because it's going to make me feel safer? Am I... Yeah. Um, putting in extra hours at work that I'm not getting paid for as a way to ensure they aren't going to fire me and I have a job? Am I over-parenting and helicoptering my kids, yeah. you know, as a way, not because um, it's helpful, but as a way to kind of control their their world so that they stay safe, you know? You can just think of all the ways this plays out. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think, you know, in therapy, I focus so much on my clients around getting safe. And not just knowing yeah. that you're safe and like talking yourself to, to safety, like, look, it's reasonable. I'm a safe person. I'm in a safe situation. Mm. But to listen to what your body's saying, your animal body does not know, cannot rationalize what is actually safe and what isn't safe. And so you're getting messages from your body all day mm. long of you're not safe, panic. You know, um, that person who gave you the side eye, oh, you better, you know, sit and have anxiety about that for a few hours. Um, and figure out what that meant. You know, all these things that these little yeah. messages our bodies are getting around safety. I think mm-hmm. the loving, kind way is to be with them, to notice it. Whoa, my chest yeah. is tight. My stomach is in knots. What's that about? I'm curious. You know, practice the curiosity around what's your body saying about the safety. I think that's so helpful. And I think for people listening, you know, when we talk about safety in the body, this is something that we've spoken about before, but maybe not in these words. This is the the difference between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is is the fight, flight, freeze or fawn response. And then the parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system is is how you're supposed to kind of feel the majority of the time. It is the nervous system that's activated when you're relaxed, when you're calm, when you're meditating, when you're sleeping, when you're basically in a safe place. Like that for the body is the signal that you are safe, that the parasympathetic nervous system is turned on. Mm -hmm. And so when you are doing things to reach for safety, I think if we know this, if we know that the body feels safe when it's in that zone, then there are really practical tools we can use to let our bodies know that we're safe. Things like taking really slow, long breaths, extending the length of our exhale. Things like um, meditating, um, hugging, like literally placing your hands on your heart, which I know I've spoken about recently in one of our episodes, but uh, even hugging yourself, talking to yourself in soothing tones, all of these things which might seem a bit again, a bit strange to do if you haven't done before, these are all going to switch that mode on that nervous system in your body and and therefore tell the body that you're safe, you know, because I think so many of us try to rationalize things and, and, and tell ourselves mentally, oh, no, I'm safe. Like, this is silly. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And actually, no amount of mental mind games are going to turn yeah, turn off your sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. We need to use body tools and 
from that place, we can then start calming ourselves down on a rational level, but we need to start with the body. Sam, I love how you (laughs) bring the science (laughs) and explain things so clearly. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's what I mean. (laughs) Um, But you know, it seems so much more complicated than it really is. Mm. And I know I get, I get annoyed a little bit when the wellness world or the self-help world talks about, you know, just calm down, take a deep breath and meditate. And it's frustrating because you're like, I had these big, massive problems. Those are not going to help. Yes. And the reality is they do. It's super annoying, but they absolutely do. It's um, super annoying. But I also wonder, you know, the times when I'm being less rushed and less frantic are definitely times that those practices are in place, that I am meditating regularly, that I am sleeping well, that my body is in a good space. You know, Mm -hmm. those are absolutely the times that um, my stress response is not leading the charge. Yeah. And I agree with you. You know, I remember I was quite cynical before I got into this world of health and wellness and coaching and, (laughs) and, I used to joke with people like if I if someone had have told me you know when I was working in the newsroom in Paris and I was stressed because it was such a fast-paced kind of stressful environment if someone had have said just take a breath I would have wanted to hit them in the face like I just would have been like this is not helpful like taking a breath isn't going to stop this war uh-huh. in Afghanistan and this bomb and this all of these things that I'm editing like it's not going to take away the stress and I think Mm -hmm. it wasn't until for me that the the person whose work changed this for me was a woman called Dr Libby Weaver who's a nutritional biochemist because of the way that she explained what was happening in the body and I think if more of the health and wellness community could Mm -hmm. explain it's not about it's it's not that breathing is going to take away whatever this stressful situation is it's not going to solve the problem it's not going to eliminate the mental stress but what breathing will do is tell your body that you are safe and it will switch off every single physiological thing that's happening in the stress response, which is what is harming us. It's what's killing us, you know, the overproduction of adrenaline and cortisol and a fast heart rate and a shallow breath and our blood being diverted to our extremities so that our digestive system doesn't work, our immune system doesn't work, our reproductive system doesn't work, the systems that start shutting down when we're stressed I mean, it's really crazy what is happening in the body. And so the breath, again, it's not about removing whatever that source of stress is. It's about saying, hang on a sec, on a a physical level, you are safe right now. You're not going to be eaten by a tiger. Like you're okay. And the power of that and from that place, from a safe place, then you can start to think about how you might be able to deal with whatever is causing the emotional mental stress. You know, Sam, one of my favorite things about being your friend for a while now is knowing exactly what will get you going. (laughs) (laughs) I know your passions and I know the things that you study deeply and I love poking at it and letting that bear come out. (laughs) Lindsay's like, I'm just going to say the word safety and she's going to (laughs) run. Here she goes. Watch. Just sit sit back and watch. You know, Sam, though, you really are so well-read, and I know that you um, are a researcher at heart. You've done so much study around these things because it was so impactful for you. Yeah, and I think one of the other things was I was in such a beautiful position to be working somewhere where I saw so many different people 
from so many different countries and different, yeah, different cultures, different ages, different genders. And I just believed so much in the power of this knowledge and realized that the way it was delivered affected whether a person could take that on board. And I was like, I don't want, you know, for example, how am I going to teach this particular thing to a man in his 40s who's in a, just in a different headspace in terms of the way that he thinks about holistic health, you know, who's more mm-hmm. sceptical or more cynical. Okay, I need to learn the science. How am I going to teach this to someone that's in their 60s and just has a yeah completely different way of looking at it? And, and so I would just read more and more and more and more <laughs> so that I was like, I know which, which book or which researcher I'm going to use with this person because I just think that the information is amazing and it's powerful and we just need to hear it in a way that resonates with us so I'm like I'm gonna hear it in as many ways as possible and hopefully then people will start to listen so going back to procrastination I think there's another <laughs> am I, yeah, there's are we another article about the topic of procrastination? there's another article that uh, Adam Grant wrote about why why he thines people yes. procrastinate mm, mm-hmm. yes who wants to go let's talk about we this. all read it we've all oh been thinking about it <laughs> yes we've kind of gone on an Adam Grant love fest this past week reading his stuff mm. listening to his work when we talk about why we procrastinate as an emotional response mm-hmm. whoo that's yeah. interesting yeah and this for me was the piece that like when I read it, Part of me was like, this is so obvious. And then the other part of me was like, oh my goodness, finally, I understand. And so the point of, of his article was to say, people are not, you are not procrastinating on the task. It isn't the thing that you're putting off. What you are procrastinating is you do not want to experience the negative emotion that you are associating with that task. And I was like, Oh my goodness, for all of the work I do on emotions and negative emotions and emotional health, I just had never really, it had never occurred to me. But I thought, of course, when I think about anything that I procrastinate on, there's always a negative emotion underneath it. And so it's different depending on the task, right? So he talks about, it could be boredom. And I think this is a big one, right? The, like, Chris, when you talked about, what was it, taking out the bins? Like that for me, that's an example of, yeah, because that's a fundamentally boring task. Nobody wants to take bins out, right? It's just boring. But when we think about other things, like there might be a conversation around setting a boundary that you need to have that you procrastinate on. And what, you know, that's a deeper um, negative emotion. It might be a real fear of confrontation. It might be Mm -hmm. just, you know, this is going to be a really uncomfortable conversation so you don't want to break up with this person oh my goodness don't let me have this conversation (laughs) exactly you say you got to break up yeah that's how that's how you end up with someone for way too long because like i don't want to talk to him yeah this this month how many people have you you experienced yourself that you dated way too long because you're like oh i don't want to hurt their feelings i don't want to it's gonna be awkward or even like i don't want to feel alone right yeah not, not just hurting someone else's feelings, right? Like, I don't want to be alone. And how many people, I mean, this is another type of just strange behavior, but how many people do I know who procrastinate that conversation so much that then what they decide to do is just become such an awful person or go and cheat on their partner so that the other person 
breaks up with them because they just cannot handle having the conversation. And they're like, you know what would be easier? What, how about if I just become an awful human being and the other person is forced to be the one? I would rather blow it. up my life than have this conversation. Totally. Yeah. And I think people procrastinate conversations at work mm-hmm. all the time. You know, I I know I, I've spoken to clients that, that want to have a, a conversation around their um their compensation and getting a raise and they will put it off forever. And again, they're not putting off the task of having the conversation. They're putting off that feeling that they know they're going to have, whether it's anxiety, discomfort, yeah, um, fear. And there could be a bunch of negative emotions mm-hmm. that a person's procrastinating. But I think that for me was like a big, mm-hmm. a huge insight that of his work that I'd never heard. And I was like, oh, this is helpful because I think if we know that it's about an emotion, then we can start to focus on, yeah, well, how do we get okay with our emotions rather than thinking, oh, this is just because I don't want to do that task. Like we're kind of missing the point if we associate it with the task. Well, I'll brag on Kus a little bit here. Um, One of his secret talents is he has become a master of salary negotiation and he also brings it up with his um, people on his team and he'll even ask mm. them, especially I think you've made it a goal, like a lot of women that you work with have talked about their huge fear and their reluctance to ask for raises where some of the men you work with don't have quite that deep of a fear and how he's got this reputation. I cannot tell you how many ladies are asking him for help around salary negotiation. Like, how do I talk about this? And it's been like a funny little uh, side thing you got going on at work. And then now it's spread out of work. Uh, Our friends of friends are telling their, you know, girlfriends like, hey, if you need to get a raise, talk to Coos. He'll he'll help you. He'll tell you what to say. (laughs) I mean, the last time time I had a compensation discussion, I ended up having a new job. I love it. Well, we know we now know what's happening in the next episode of this podcast with salary negotiation. Oh, my gosh. Coos could go to town with that one, but it, but you know, that's the thing, right? Like, do I want to make more money for the work that I feel like I should make more money for? Sure. Do I want to ask my boss for that money? Nope. Sure. Don't. Mm. And so just to kind of notice that, um, that's one example, right? How long have you put off asking for a raise because of that feeling? And when's the last time you were that vulnerable yeah. around someone who has power over you, your boss, right? And so it's a very vulnerable place. It yeah. kind of seems like a silly one, but that's actually a very vulnerable place to be, asking for something that you want from someone who has yeah. power in your life. A hundred percent. And it's, it's the same thing that you were talking about earlier. Like it's the fear around safety, mm-hmm. because for whatever reason, we think that, you know, if we do that, like maybe they're going to say no or, may, you know, maybe they're not going to like us and then we're going to lose our job. There's all kinds of crazy thoughts that can be running around in our head, but it's that we, yeah, we don't feel safe having that conversation, mm-hmm. you know? And the interesting thing is I love seeing this. I, you know, I work for myself, so I don't have to ask for races. Thank heavens. Uh, <laughs> that would be really challenging for me. But in the last, I'm trying to think, mm-hmm. the last three people that Coos has talked to about, uh, salary negotiation, all three of them have gotten more than what they were asking for just by asking. And so is there an absolute, it, it's brilliant. Isn't there 
um, isn't it worth discomfort to get more money than you even ask for? Sure. Mm. But don't you need a little support in that and some knowledge and some practice? Yeah, totally. And I think that's with everything, right? What are the areas that you're procrastinating in because of the emotion you're wanting to avoid that you might just need some help? You might need some, some coaching, some friend to play through the scenario with you to role play, you know, whatever it is. uh, I think that could be a a healer in a lot of the procrastination stuff around other people, you know, whether it's a breakup or asking for a raise, who do you talk to about, Hey, how do I do this? Well, how do I do this with integrity? How do I work up the courage Mm to work past this feeling of discomfort to get what I want and what I, what I need. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I think about it in terms of this current climate and us being in a pandemic and me kind of trying to understand, well, why might people be struggling with this more now? I do think, you know, if, if we realize that procrastinating things is because there's these things that we don't want to do because there's negative emotions attached, like, so many of us have just experienced so many negative mm. emotions mm-hmm. at the moment and and we don't have you know in in the normal world you might have a whole bunch of things that you could look forward to so you can kind of you know almost convince yourself oh, if I just get this done then I can go out with my friends and do this right? right and there's all these things that can kind of you can get through this difficult or negative emotion because you've got light at the end of the tunnel and something on the other side. And I just think that's been taken away. So of Mm -hmm. course people are not wanting to experience even more negative emotion and they don't really have like, where's the, where's the light? Where's the hope? Where's the positive emotion? So I can just see why procrastination right now would be for a lot of people through the roof and then add to the fact that everyone's drained with their energy, you know? So it's kind of like, I think the reason why I wanted to talk about it is just to let people know that if they are procrastinating, even if they normally are, but if they're doing it more than usual, just not to shame themselves or judge themselves mm-hmm. and just to, again, we're going to come back to the, the famous tool. It's all about self-compassion, right. you know, just saying, okay, yeah, this is, this is a hard time and yeah. it's normal that I would be trying to delay a negative emotion because I've been through a lot and I've experienced a lot of them lately. And this is just another one, you know, I think you're so right. The, the anxiety camel, the straw that broke the anxiety camels back, right. Is this like, Mm. I don't have the bandwidth to do the things that maybe in the past I would have, but now I don't. And now I'm going to feel bad that I can't even do this. Right. That, that Mm -hmm. talk that gets really um, self shamey. And I would Mm. always say the words that work for me around shame are, of Mm. course, this is hard. Of course, this makes sense, Mm. right? Those two things really melt shame for me because this matches the situation. The feeling I'm having matches the situation. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. So you're not feeling out of control and quote unquote crazy, um, but instead you're like, oh, okay. And once you verbalize that to yourself, shame really can't camp out there. You know, and so that's the way I think to yeah. melt the shame around. If you're not getting stuff done and you're procrastinating and it's not something you have the bandwidth to work on, to say that makes sense, of course, you know, um, th- this matches what I'm experiencing yeah. right now. This matches what a lot of people, a majority of people are experiencing right now. Can I go easy right now on myself? This isn't forever, but maybe I need to take a pause and take some stuff off my plate right now. Yeah, I love that. That's so helpful. And I think the other piece is, 
for the things that we really, you know, that we do have to get done at the end of the day to acknowledge, okay, well, I am going to have to experience this negative emotion. Again, I think, wow, so much kind of damage and destruction is done by by humans just not being okay with negative emotions. Mm. And, oh, yeah. you know, there's so many things that we do to try and numb them and avoid them. And And I think this is, again, where it comes back to if we can get to a place of acceptance of this is just an emotion that I'm going to experience and this particular one happens to be negative. But again, this self-compassion, like I'm going to be super kind to myself through it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to treat myself gently. Then that emotion doesn't have to be something that we fear so much. We can, Mm -hmm. if we know how to be kind to ourselves and how to soothe ourselves and nurture ourselves and also how to ask for what we need, you know, if this thing that you're trying to do is bringing up a lot of, whether it's anxiety or overwhelm or whatever the particular emotion is, if you have a partner or or someone that can help you to feel better and calm you down and soothe you, just being able to say, Hey, I need, I need a bit of support, a bit of reassurance right now. Um, because I'm really avoiding this, this particular thing because I don't want to feel this way. And even that, just being able to talk it through with someone and to know, you know, I, I am eventually going to have to experience this, but this person is here to, to help and to support me and comfort me, you know? Another tool that I don't use as much, but I wish I did was what's the feeling immediately after the hard, difficult feeling, Mm. you know? So if I need to end a relationship that isn't a fit, um, my first thought is that's going to be terrible. I'm going to be so hurt. They're going to be hurt. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be sad. But the feeling after that, ending a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, it doesn't work for you. Freedom. (laughs) Right. Relief and freedom. And so it's almost like, what's the feeling after the difficult ones? And is that worth it? And that can be the motivator of working through it, right? Um, Mm. I don't want to feel the sadness or I don't want to disappoint someone. I do want to be aligned to who who I am. I do want freedom. I do want relief. And so I've got to walk through this part of it to get to that feeling. Yeah. I think the helpful thing to think about is the next time you're procrastinating, identifying what the particular emotion is that that you think you're going to feel, whether it is anxiety or whether it's overwhelm or whether it's boredom or discomfort or confusion. Because I think if we know what the emotion is, then we might be able to work with that in a slightly different way. You know, if you're procrastinating on something because you're confused, maybe you need to speak to someone and get more clarity on exactly what it is you're supposed to be doing, for example. So I think the more we can kind of really understand what's the particular negative emotion that I'm putting off right now and how can I kind of generate the opposite emotion or how can I manage that? So I think that's a helpful thing for us to think about when we're we're putting things off. And I think that maybe that's a helpful place to end this particular episode. And so for all of the procrastinators out there, don't worry. You're great. We love you. Even you are infinitely loved. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved. If you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at yourinfinitelyloved.com.